Expert Insights is an ongoing medical education podcast. The Carl Division of Continuing Education designates that each episode of this enduring material is worth a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. To collect credit, please click on the link and complete the episode's post-test. This podcast forum is brought to you to share expertise and insights within our integrated delivery system to help us improve the health of the people we serve and achieve world-class accessible care. This is Expert Insights. Here's your host, Melanie Cole. Welcome today. We're talking about the importance of accurate HCC coding and the latest parameters in the coding to help other providers and staff assess patients quickly and provide the best care. My guest is Dr. Charles Liang. He's the Associate Medical Director for Health Alliance with the Carl Foundation Hospital. Dr. Liang, let's just set the stage first about HCC coding. What is it? Well, HCC coding stands for Hierarchical Condition Category. And this is something that was invented by CMS, and they started using this in 2004. Basically, the whole, the whole reason for this is they wanted to assign a risk adjustment factor to patients so that they could measure how ill a patient is. And this allowed health plans to rank their patients. And the whole purpose of this is to prevent health plans from cherry-picking patients. In other words, if you were a health plan that took care of the very sick and you could document it, then your compensation was greater than a health plan that just insured relatively healthy patients. Then expand a little for us, Dr. Liang, on the importance of accurate HCC coding and the risk adjustment factor. Compare apples to apples for us. How does this allow for your panel to do this? Well, an example I can think of uh, is when a patient comes in with, with COPD and you chart that, that's great. The, but sometimes what providers miss is they miss adding another diagnosis, for example, chronic respiratory failure with hypoxia. So that's an additional diagnosis that is probably accurate. For example, this would be with someone who's on oxygen. And that increases the risk adjustment factor by almost twice as much. So those are the kinds of things that we're, we're looking for. Another example would be a lot of times, and I've done this too as a provider, I'll put diabetes unspecified because that's easier to look for and that pops up right away when you do the diagnoses. But if you put diagnoses of uh, diabetes with hyperglycemia, that, that almost triples the risk adjustment factor value. We're looking for providers to bill more specifically and more accurately. So then be a little specific about how someone goes about documenting this as, as you're talking about adding things like diabetes and hyperglycemia and that that would change the coding. Tell us a little bit about the documentation itself and the acronym MEET. Well, you know, the, the acronym MEET, sometimes it, it, can be, it can be confusing and a little bit overwhelming. So MEET stands for Monitor, Evaluate, assess, and treat. When I first saw that slide and I first heard what it stood for, I, I was under the impression that I needed to have all the elements of MEET. I needed to put down the monitoring, the evaluation, the assessment, and, and any treatments I was doing. And actually what MEET means is you only need one of them. 
you only need one of the four listings. So for example, if I had a patient with atrial fibrillation, which is very common, I could say in my note that atrial fibrillation, patient is taking Coumadin. That's all I would need to say because that would show that the treatment is being done. Or I could say atrial fibrillation, patient is seeing cardiology. That would also work. Or I could say patient uh, has atrial fibrillation on Coumadin. I'm going to check NINR on this patient. The, the big thing we have to remember is this diagnosis and treatment that we're documenting or follow-up with these patients is the only way that we communicate with CMS. CMS really wants to know, does this patient still have atrial fibrillation or not? Because it's possible from last year the patient may have had an ablation and their atrial fib went away, or they had a surgical procedure and it went away. So they want to know, does this patient still have atrial fib? And we let them know, yes, they do, by our diagnosis and the coding for atrial fibrillation. And we need to support that in our documentation with, with the MEAT concept. And again, you only need one of these uh, to, to put down. Uh, a big, big issue I, that a lot of providers have, and, and I totally understand this, is a patient that comes in for a, for a cold and the provider tells me, well, I can't bill, I can't diagnose atrial fibrillation because I didn't really review their atrial fibrillation symptoms. I didn't, you know, check their heart. I didn't listen to their heart. I didn't ask them if they were having palpitations. But in the assessment, you can still put atrial fibrillation as long as you don't upcode. The purpose of listing atrial fibrillation in the diagnosis is not to make this into a 99214 from a 99213. The purpose of putting it in the assessment is just our way of communicating to CMS that this patient indeed still has atrial fibrillation. Wow. So must an acceptable problem list show the evaluation and treatment for each condition that it relates on the ICD code? So you have to absolutely list out each condition as it's coded. Yes, but we help you with that. At at Carl, we have... We have now we have a, a best practice alert that's going to be coming very soon right on the chart. And so when you open the chart, you can see the best practice alert over on the left on the, on the storybook function of EPIC. And when you click that, that'll tell you the diagnoses that need to be updated. Because that doesn't mean if someone else updated atrial fibrillation in the chart already, then you don't have to do it and it won't show up. These diagnoses only have to be updated once per calendar year. So the flip side to that is January 1st, when you see these patients, they're going to have a lot of HCC codes that need to be updated. December 20th, hopefully they won't have any, because by then they'll have been seen enough and often enough to have these codes updated. Yeah, I just want to stress again that this is an important service that we're providing to the patients, and CMS compensates our, our, um, our group based on how ill the patients are, and we need that, 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 uh, that, that revenue in order to properly take care of our patients. Well, that's certainly true. So what do you feel are some of the more important barriers to this coding? A lot of the barriers are providers don't feel that they have enough time to do this documentation. They don't feel like it's pertinent 
because that's not what the patient came in for. They're here for an ankle sprain. Why am I documenting how they're di- that that they're still taking insulin? You know, for diabetes. So what we need is a is a cultural change to where providers understand that that we are a vertically integrated network at Carl, and what Medicare Advantage does directly or actually indirectly affects how we all do has a, has a group and documenting how ill patients are does helps the patient because then it reflects in the problem list and when the next time someone else not you looks at the chart they can better appreciate what's happening with the patient's history well it's more comprehensive then isn't and it and it's more accurate it is more accurate. So give us a summary of the HCC coding as you would like other providers to understand care gaps or the way that it is going to be in the coming future. Doing HCC codes accurately helps the patient by, by documenting it on the problem list so you can see it and, and nursing staff can see it, other providers can, um, can visualize it quickly. It also it, it, it helps the organization because we are compensated from CMS directly based on how ill patients are. And the only way CMS knows how ill patients are is through the HCC coding. And, and I would like to address the, the, the often heard complaint that I don't have time for this. And I guess I would come back and say that when you're documenting in the chart, it takes a long time sometimes to document everything that you've done during the exam. We need, we need to think of HCC coding documentation as just like it. It's just like when you document things in the chart. This is part of the documentation. You would, you would never skip the heart exam because you felt like you didn't have time. Well, I listened to the heart, but I'm not going to document it because I don't have time. You, no one would ever do that. So what we need is, is a cultural change where we view HCC coding documentation the same as we view any other kind of documentation, and that is uh, has it, it's, being, it's very important, it's very crucial, and, and if, it, if it isn't documented, then it didn't happen. Wow, what a great segment and so informative. Thank you so much, Dr. Liang, for coming on with us today. And that wraps up this episode of Expert Insights with the Carl Foundation Hospital. For a listing of Carl providers and to view Carl-sponsored educational activities, head on over to our website at carlconnect.com for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. We hope the information gained will be applicable to your work and life. If you found this podcast as informative and interesting as I did, please share with other providers, share on your social media, and be sure not to miss all the other fascinating podcasts in our library. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.